Hi everyone, welcome to Such a Good Feeling. My guest today is one of my favourite contemporary singers and writers, always beautifully authentic and honest, whether it's making people dance or breaking their hearts through country-tinged classics, alongside her incredible work offering a safe space for artists with a brilliant I Know A Woman organisation. So please welcome the absolute force of nature that is Twinny. Hello. Hello. <laughs> That's a great intro, thank you. I'll pay you later. <laughs> You're busy, aren't you? Very busy. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, people ask me that all the time. I was like, I just don't sleep. And I can last on not much sleep. So it kind of works for me. I'm sure I'm going to burn out one day, but up until then, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying on. So, how do you relax? Um, I find it really hard to relax, really. I know it sounds stupid, but probably through different types of music. Um, I don't know. I, I can't stop it. It's in me, which is so annoying for the people. Um, and I've got ADHD, so my brain is like constantly ticking. So if I'm not writing, I'm writing a script or I'm coming up with some idea of something else. So, you know, um, I do like to dance, though. So um, that's probably, yeah, that's not really chilling, though, is it? So <laughs> Is there a type of music you can listen to without analyzing it and working yeah motown music just i think it's very nostalgic for me it reminds me of um just like growing up and my mom and grandma listening to it and it just uh, gives me just yeah that nostalgic feeling i feel like that's the brilliance of music it can just take you transport you to a different place and time and that always makes me feel really peaceful that type of genre so yeah, I would say Motown music. And and was it that predominantly that was kind of around when you were when you were a kid? Was it that kind of music? What was what did your mum and dad play? What were your earliest memories of hearing stuff? So quite different. I've got like a very very big family. Um, like my whole, my dad's side of the family are all travellers, and I kind of grew up in these two worlds. And it was a bit of a mishmash of. I had a very eclectic taste in music. So my dad was listening to like Billy Joel and Queen and Bob Dylan. And then my mum was listening to Gilbert O'Sullivan. Gilbert O'Sullivan was actually my first concert when I was like six years old. Um, and she was listening to Motown. And then I listened to a lot of like Shania Twain, Spice Girls, Tupac, Ella Fitzgerald. And then my granddad and grandma were listening to um yeah, the the Rat Pack, Dean Martin. Um, I, I can never pronounce his name properly. Maurice Chevalier. No, that's not right. Chevalier. Was he Chevalier? Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. She, she, she'll kill you. Yeah, him, that one. Um, but yes, yeah, so, a Nat King Cole. So like really a lot of different types of music. And then I have been on stage since I've been four years old. So I was doing like musical theatre. So I kind of grew up watching and learning from amazing I, th I think what drew me to music and just performing in general is like amazing storytellers so I grew up watching like Hollywood movie musicals hence why my first album was called Hollywood Gypsy because it was like what inspired me but also what was a part of my life and then the gypsy side being like my heritage um, and just watching people like Judy Garland and um you know, Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly, all these like old school people that whether they were acting or dancing or, you know, singing, they were telling like an amazing story. And I was like, I want to do that. So I quickly learned um, from a very young age that if I did all three, like my teacher would always say, you have to be able to do all three. They call it a triple threat being a thespian um you would work more and that's kind of like I always had this dedication to whatever art form to be try and be like really we'll do my best at it try and be the best at it um because I thought well I'll work more and um it is it was amazing training actually because it did lead me my career has been very winding <laughs> roads and led me down different paths but I, I really feel like it's enriched my art as and just like what I've got to say as an artist so like when you do the music videos like my acting and dancing comes in handy there and yeah so it was quite um 
a weird childhood, like different types of music, but also being on stage and then going to school and then living in two different cultures, which were completely conflicting. And so I think like for me, songwriting especially was a, just an expression where I felt like I could be myself because I struggled with that growing up. And we, I guess, like from an early age, you were you were a kind of performer. I mean, were you one of those kids that were like putting on shows for your parents and stuff? Yeah, like introducing. I yeah. made my parents introduce me on the fireplace, like, yeah. and and like got my brother and sister in on it. I'm like, no, you do this. There, I'm a, I'm the oldest child, so naturally I was very bossy, but mm. also very um, just like always entertaining, always entertaining. Um, and I, I just, uh, yeah, just loved it. And I think that there's, a, there's actually a video of me when I'm like nine months old. I'm very like quick to learn things, but I don't have a very good attention span. So I'm not good when it, it comes to like practicing. My band hate me because they're like, you just, you, you can't practice. I can't practice. I'm like, just learn it. I'll come in, do my thing. And then on stage, I completely mess up the set list. I'm like, can we do this one instead? Because I feel like I've grown up in that kind of world where, um, you know, whether it be acting and dancing or music, I, I, I work with a lot of church players and they're constantly improvising. And, um, yeah, I like to keep it fun and keep people on uh, their toes. So, um, yeah, I was from a very early age, nine months old, walking and, like, singing. And my mum was like, who is this child? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Just, just always been in me. And what about playing instruments? When did that start? So you remember I was talking about attention span? Yes. <laughs> I don't, I do not have, unless I'm really interested in it, I need to be set a challenge. So I think I started learning piano with my uh, piano teacher, music teacher at primary school when I was about seven. And it was called Mr. Almond and bless him. I don't know how he caught with me because I was just like a kid, just, just like, I don't know, just wouldn't concentrate only with the things that I wanted to play. And I'm very much a person that likes to run before I can walk like a bull in a china shop. So mm-hmm. that quickly ended. Um, and then it wasn't until like years later, I kind of taught myself to play piano and guitar, um, which I wouldn't recommend because I don't, it, that was a whole new thing, like going over to Nashville and learning the numbers system. and. Um, but how, but how did you teach yourself piano and guitar before, like when you were a kid, what was your, your method? Because lots of people have their own methods about how to self-teach. So how did you do it when you were a kid? My uncle could play um, really well. And hmm. then, um, so I kind of learned a bit off him. And then by the time I got to secondary school, you know, it's like all, there was like really good people in my class. So I kind of uh self they kind of taught me a bit and just picked up and I guess like you you develop your own style of writing like especially on guitar I I just found a way of like doing it I hate bar chords though so you'll never find you hardly ever I'll do bar chords but um yeah I I just I, I, I don't know I just found a way and um definitely throughout life I've got better and learned different things and especially when you go over to Nashville a lot that there was just like amazing players I just resided to myself to the fact that I'm never going to be like Elton John on the piano or you, you know like Brian May on guitar um but I just do enough to get by and that kind of suits me really so yeah but Saying that, I mean, Elton is famously self-taught and a non-music reader. And I think every, I think a lot of times I speak to people on here and they have the same story, which is similarly is kind of my story, where you just learn, you, you, you learn what you want to learn. You get the bits you want and then enough to kind of get you by. You don't have, you're never going to want to be, you know, a, a, a concert pianist. But no. as long as you can accompany yourself or get to a point as a songwriter where you can sort of show someone what you want to do. That's all that matters, isn't it? And that's always my that was always my biggest goal to like be able to play by myself and I and I could do that. Um and I think like I because I grew up listening to music so much with you know dancing, hmm. uh, my ear 
I pick up things. I can teach myself really quickly. And I didn't realize what I was doing when I was songwriting. So my brain sees things in patterns. It doesn't necessarily see the notes. Yeah. Um, and somebody like picked that out to me and they're like, oh, this is easy for you this way if you do it that way. So something just clicked, especially on piano. Um, and then that really helped my songwriting, being able to obviously play it better and um uh, going back to Motown music, I didn't realize I was doing this and I'd do this quite a lot is if I'm stuck on say a song, I will write it as a ballad and then speed it up afterwards. Yeah. And somebody did, somebody told me about like, that's um, what Motown music used to do. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. So all these like little tricks that you pick up and learning from amazing people, amazing friends that I know. Um yeah, I do. I do enough to get by. So, uh, I think that's a good. Um, I love that trick as well. And also, I think people sometimes write, and sometimes it's good to write with a beat. But sometimes you can write, and you, you get away with a lot more, and you maybe not write as interesting a song or a rhythm when there's kind of a beat behind it. But you know, that's why disco is so good because it's all ballads with a beat. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't really know anything about music. I'm such an instinctive person, like, when it comes to music. And some people will be like, that, you can't do that. You've got a half a bar show. Or, like, this. What? what where's your mind going there? And I was like, listen, I worked with Brian May when I was 18, and he told me there's no rules in music. And there really isn't. Like, if you listen to Bohemian Rhapsody and their story, mm. and, like, you know, I think... Sometimes I don't ever want to know too much. I always want to stay curious because then I feel like when you're just outside your comfort zone or you 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 make a mistake, that's like sometimes the magic. Is it wasn't it like Phil Collins that did that famous drum solo and it yeah. it was it was a mistake. And I just think like there is beauty in those moments and you can't ever recapture them. So for me, music, I just want to always stay curious and like be excited by it and inspired by it. And um, I definitely think like art inspires art. And that's why I listen to so many different types of music. Um, But like I say, I've probably got my own way of doing things and it probably rubs people up the wrong way because I'm like, no, I feel like it should be this, but they'll have to show me first how it's so wrong. And then I'll be like, okay, that you were right. But I have to, I have to try. Of course. Yeah. But that's part of being an artist. You, you, You said there about the, the musical theatre stuff. I mean, is that your first time on some sort of stage as part of a musical theatre production when you're a kid? Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was. Um, it, it, I, I did a, like a lot of pantos as well. Like pantos are a, a very big thing in England. Aren't they? That's a baptism of fire though. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how to learn about hard work. Uh, yeah. Especially when you they call them babes. Um, Berrick Kaler does a famous pantomime in York and I was in that I think it's he's still going actually he's been doing it for years um but yeah that was like kind of my first experience and really that kind of ticked all the boxes for me because I was able to sing dance and act so that was the first kind of time that I was like oh I can make a living out of this I get paid for this yeah this is what I want to do <laughs> And then that, I guess so much so that that was a, the kind of the dream, the whole stage thing as well, because that's kind of when you went and studied a bit and, uh, and did some, you know, pretty classical, classic shows. Mm, I, see, yeah. I, I, I think you were, you were Dorothy at one point. I feel that you were. I was Dorothy. Yeah. That was the first, that was such a cool show. Cause I, obviously I was obsessed with her when I was younger and her yeah. story is amazing. Judy Garland and um, their work ethic. Like that's one thing I did take from them. Like, because you, you know, when you're doing, even at that young age, you first in last out um, it was great experience. Um, it, and I had to be able to like take off her voice and like her. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So it's like, um, I'm going to embarrass myself now. I need to get into it. But like, why? You're nothing but a big bully. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Like, um, so wow. that was like at, at 15 and like doing her. Um, I'm not going to be able to do somewhere over the rainbow, but uh, she did that um, clang, clang, clang when the trolley, ding, ding, ding when the bell, sing, sing, sing when my heart strings from the moment I saw them, I fell. And that's amazing. 
So it was like a very good, I was always like doing impressions. So when I landed that gig, I was like, oh my God, this is the moment that I've dreamed of all my life because I've been watching, you know, Wizard of Oz forever. Um, And then, yeah, when after that job went to like a stage in drama music school for three years. And then I landed my first gig with Brian May in a show called um, We Were Rocky. And that was, that was amazing, but also terrifying because literally they are the best voices that I've ever heard to this day still. Like, Mm. you know, Maz Murray and Rachel Wooden, like all these incredible voices. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be that good. But they were, they were just, yeah, it was, it was just an amazing show to be part of and a standing ovation every night. Mm. And then when I finished that show, I was in like a, a Blondie musical. I actually met Blondie um, called Desperately Seeking Susan. I remember and it, that. And it didn't, it nearly worked. It didn't quite work. It nearly it, worked. You're being nice. It didn't work. Like the the choreography was amazing. Like the best cast I've ever worked with. But it, yeah, it was Desperately Seeking two more weeks because we only lasted like two two weeks or whatever. And that was my first experience of like, oh, that that standard ovation that I've been used to every night, that doesn't happen. So that made me like crave that. I was like, I need instant validation, guys. I need people to clap. <laughs> I'm an artist. So yeah, I did a few jobs like that. Um, but meeting, but hang on, meeting Blondie is pretty cool though. Yeah, she was, she was awesome. She didn't really speak that much. So I just had like a quick picture, you know, like I was feeling a bit awkward, but like, like such a fan of you. And you're like, oh God, I've turned into that person. And, um, but yeah, like through musical theater, I honestly met like amazing artists. Cause I did a lot of shows where you had to be able to sing, dance and act. Um, my favorite job though was um, I played Velma Kelly at 21 which I was the youngest ever in the world, I think, to be given that role. Mm. And that's such a, I mean, if you know the music, such a classy mm. show and very much reminded me of that old style, like Ella Fitzgerald kind of music. So I've, I learned how to like manipulate my voice as well and like good training eight shows a week. So now when I go on tour, it's like muscle memory. I don't really have to worry about that kind of side of things, which is awesome. And you got the standing ovation every night because it's Chicago and it does the trick. Yeah, and it is literally the best part that I think you can play in musical theatre and the best entrance. So I was yeah. I was happy. After that, I was like, I'm done. What can I what can I do? I can't do any any better than this. Um and, but I did do a, a couple more shows. I did Rock of Ages and Flash Dance and played the leads and um that and then then I broke my leg and I was like, I was always trying to do music on the side, but as you know, music's very, it was, I found it very difficult to penetrate, like to get in. I was like, I didn't know anyone and neither did my family. And I was just this kid down in London that, you know, the perception of musical theatre as well is like, oh, you're just musical theatre. Even for like straight actors, like, oh, you're just musical theatre. Um, but yeah, I quickly found my first manager and, and you know, got into co-writing, which was a whole new thing because I'd never done that before. I'd always been writing by myself. And then, uh, yeah, kind of met John Green and um, kind of the rest is history, really. One of the things about this podcast is like, the such a good feeling bit is about those kind of moments that happen to you that at the time are devastating, but weirdly have a way of shaping your future. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining after the accident, you've got a lot of time where you can't do much. Is that yeah. where the writing really starts to take, take shape? I think like I was going from job to job to job in musical theatre because it was something that was easy for me to do. And, um, you know, you get disheartened when you can't figure a way into music. So I was doing gigs on the side. It just wasn't really working. But had that accident not happened, I, I like brought my leg and I was just there and I was like, oh God, this is so annoying. I, um, I was like, what do you want out of life? It really did. It was a defining moment in my life where it shook me. It was like, you're not here for very long, 20. Like, we're all, none of us are getting out alive. You've got to really go after what your heart's desire. And I think that I've always had, I would say like 
um, this kind of passion to go after what I want. And like, just, I'm one of these people that if you don't ask, you don't get, I'll always shoot my shot. And I'll always like, I love mentors and love learning from people. So I, I just went after it and just like contacted everybody and played every gig that I possibly could and got into writing rounds and, and then, yes, I, I can't really, I think it was through the lead. Um, Ollie Thompson was being managed by a guy called Thomas, who now is the manager of Youngblood. Hmm. And he, he saw potential in me. Like even back then he was like, Oh, I, I feel like you've got this like kind of country influence, like very American, very early Taylor Swift, that kind of thing. And was very interested in my songwriting. So he put me in a few sessions and then I was going back and forth to LA. Um, and then through that, I met people and then we parted and then I was working with John Green. And on this particular day, we wrote Lie to Me and we wrote Home and another song. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, it was like, I think John is probably one of these people that is really, um, without him in the picture, I really don't know where I would have I mean, you know, John, he's a, he's a legend and he's such an accomplished writer and an artist in his own right. But he has the, um, he sees what other people don't see sometimes. And I think that's the beauty of John. And he saw so much potential in me and he knew I was a hard worker and he wanted to help me. And um, he just like connected me with people. And I think like people like him and Lucy Silvers, who's a, like one of my best friends on the planet, um, they just they, they helped me get in the room and then it was up to me to get back in the room. And I think like I really, they just taught me like just so, so much about like finding your place in the room as a writer and um yeah, just, just, I'm like smiling now because I can remember the first day I met John and he's so funny and he put me at ease and I wasn't really, I was quite shy. I'm not a shy person, but I was very shy because it was so out of my comfort zone. I'd only ever written by myself and then to go in and be like, this is, this is what I feel on my heart. You know, it's such, it's like a weird, it's the weirdest job being a songwriter. It's like, blind dates every day and you have to like be emotionally aware and have that intelligence to find your place in the room or to read the room or like to know when to back off to know when to push and um I I think he's the master of that and he and I, I kind of learned from the best and he made me a better writer like all of that group of people did and they saw something in me that I did not see and um yeah really shaped shaped my career really i described when i spoke to john i described lie to me as a, a modern standard um do you remember the day you wrote it yeah i we wrote two songs that day we were at home and lied to me and um I, I wrote my first ep with john and he just he has this ability to bring some out in you that you don't know he just makes you feel comfortable comfortable enough that you can speak your truth um and yeah, I mean, I've loved Lie to Me. I still play it and I still like get really emotional to this day every time. And it's really, it's a really special song to me, especially because I wrote it with one of my best friends. So um, yeah, that'll just like live on. I feel like it should be in a film though. I'm like, that's, that song needs to be in a film. I'm manifesting it out there. We love a bit of manifesting. <laughs> yeah. I wondered um, after all these years that you were being other people, um, whether they be in musicals, whether it be on television, how do you find what your voice sounds like? The voice that you have now, the voice that people love this, you know, and also interestingly of all the things that we've talked about so far, especially in when you were growing up, the word country hasn't turned up, turned up once apart from when you mentioned Shania. So, I mean, when did you find the way that you sing now? I've always kind of sang the way I've sang, but like, obviously when you're playing characters, you have to manipulate your voice. Somebody asked me this the other day, they're like, why does all English people sound American when they sing? I'm like, well, I have a theory because it's because we grow up watching like American TV, even like the Disney channel. It's all, it's all American. And, um, 
but yeah, I, I would say that I've always had the voice that I've had. It's just in, um, it's I, I, like, especially things like Footloose, um, where I played Ariel. She was like from the South and I w- some of them recordings I've listened to and I still kind of sound the same. Um, Chicago is a little bit deeper, obviously, but um, I think I listened to a lot of Dolly and Reba, like old school country and like Willie Nelson and Garth, um, simply because my family were doing that with the storytelling. But yeah, I, I mean, that's what country is for me. I think the perception of country music in this country, because it's quite new, it's it's like growing. It's a massive genre that's growing. They still think it's like boots and cowboy hats, but with any genre, it evolves over time. It's basically pop now. Um, and because I grew up on people like Shania and, and Taylor, and I love the band, never know how to say that, like Haim, Haim. Haim, yes. Haim, like the three sisters. I think they're amazing. So, um, yeah, I kind of take influences from all of them. And, um, yeah, I don't know, really. I've always kind of been myself. I think I'm pretty good at being myself, but just finding it, finding my voice um, with the writing, I would say as well, that took a bit of time. I think what's really fascinating and a really amazing manager of a big act once said to me that one of the best things you could ever do uh, is specialise. And I think you do obviously go a million miles an hour and want to do everything. But there was obviously a key moment where you actually just sat down and said the country thing. That's what I want to do really, really well, rather than be do everything differently. Um, I don't only mean just country, but actually just put your foot in that Nashville country stable as a place that your sound would envelop from. Yeah. Um, when did when did you make that decision? Or again, is that literally just something that because you could have done a million different things? Your songwriting could have gone a different million different ways. Was that just some a conscious decision to go? No, I'm gonna. This is what I'm going to stick to, and I'm because because weirdly, in the UK, it's one of the hardest things to get across. Because famously, there you know, so many people go to C2C, so many people have that, and they love that stuff. And I'm I, I love that music, but weirdly, unlike anywhere else, this country seems to be the hardest to get country music across. Yeah, I think because it's a perception thing. Everything in this industry is about perception. So I think the reason why I like Nashville so much and why I go out there, and by the way, like a lot of now pop artists, LA producers, they've all moved there because... Firstly, the, the community is like no other and everyone's support. There's healthy competition, but everyone really does support each other. It's like such an amazing place. But um, I like the fact that it's disciplined. I, I feel like cities have personalities and like LA, I cannot stand. I really cannot stand it. I don't, I don't gel there with it. I don't have any crew there. I can't do afternoon sessions. Like my brain is dead by like four o'clock. I need to, I'm a, a morning person where I've got like, I know I'm doing 10 till three. And they, they taught me so much about how to craft a song. Remember I was talking about like what intrigued me about the the industry was like great storytellers, whether Mm. it be whatever they do. I I love people that can tell a good story. And um, they were doing that on like in every session and just the way that people talk, they're like, you know, y'all, this could be this and like the way that they talk and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is like, and weirdly, really reminds me of Yorkshire and the people that that I grew up with that were very welcoming. Like as, you know, as a gypsy, you'll be on a site, caravan site or wherever you are in the world and there's trailers next to each other and you don't, you don't even have to knock. You just go in, walk in. Oh, do you want a cup of tea? Like it's just, and it's like that there, like people go like, oh, do you want to sit on the porch, have a bit? Like it's just very social and it makes me feel like I'm already home. So it's easier to be inspired there and got off the plane and like already have ideas and concepts. And I just think, um, I think like the country thing was a combination of things. And I would say like that sometimes the perception of country has gone against me, like with, you know, cause I started my debut album in the pandemic and people had this like thing about country. And I'm like, well, no, what I'm doing is essentially pop, but it's like, you know, 
country influence, but because people have a thing like, oh, it's country, I hate country. I'm like, you know, I just got played on Radio One, which is massive. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, please judge the song. Not, And I think that's the, the way it's going. I don't really, I'm not one of these people that believe in genres. I believe in two types of music, good or bad. Yes. And I think the Nashville thing, it just, I'm such, I have like a real discipline for the art of something like I, I loved crafting a song. Like, I think out of all the things that I'd want to be remembered for, it would be that I was a good writer. I've had no hits yet and nobody knows who I am. But I um, I feel like that is one of my goals in life. Like, I feel like I want to be known for my writing. Um, yeah. And, and I was going to say the country thing also was a combination because I used to write with Ben Earl. Yes. And, and we wrote in a way that was like, because I was obsessed by Lady A. And I went into this session with Daniel Dan McDougall, who plays for Oasis. And um, I was like, I love this song. And it was the yeah, Need You Now song. I was like, can we do mm-hmm. a, a song like this? And we kept writing in that way. And then Jimmy Hogarth, um, which I think was Ben's publisher at the time, was like, hey, this stuff is really good. Like, do you want to do it? Like you should, you know, and I was like, no, 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 no. And I think because I'm so strong-willed that I was like, I don't No, I'm a, I need to say what I need to say. And I, I don't want somebody else in the background playing guitar or, or whatever. Like I, I just had this whole big vision of like what I wanted my music videos to look like. And I was very like new into the industry. And I, from then I was like, I was so proud of myself because it's so weird how things come around. And then Ben was like, do you mind if I take these songs somewhere else? And he put on like um, Facebook um, for like a singer. And that's how we got Chrissy. And um, it was just amazing watching their journey. And they really opened up the gateway to country music. And then all these Americans started coming over. And then that's when I was like in Nashville honing in on my craft. So, and they've done amazing. I'm so proud of them. And it's just, it's amazing how things like, work out on what road you pick um so yeah my A&R that signed me knew that I was kind of working in that area and that's how I got pitched as this country pop yeah and 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 by the way one of those songs was on the Shire's song Black and White which is a gorgeous song yeah and yeah and that was my like one of my first cuts as a writer so it's like it's amazing how everything like works out the way it's meant to yeah, I think it's important as well, though. That I mean, I know you obviously will get onto the the you know the the album and everything, but I mean, to even get to that point where a label is going to come and wants to sign you, you've you've done so much groundwork. You know, you've self released, you've kind of pushed, you've done it. I mean, there's a lot. You're not like I think a lot of times people like you come along and and people say, oh yeah, they've they've just turned up. It's like you've been doing this for a long time mm-hmm. to actually start to get. The, the the deserved credit that you're getting now. Oh, thank you. Well, I think as well, because even like the fact that I've done, um, even the fact that I did like musical theatre or, you know, acting still, because that's very much part of my world. I think sometimes people, sometimes it goes against you. People are like, oh, so you do that as well. And I'm like, well, yeah. So did you know Youngblood was in like a, a TV series and Ariana Grande was like in Disney and all these people. It's like, it's, I just, you hear about these stories where people were like, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I worked in this shop before, like doing this before I was a musician or while I was being a musician, I basically did singing, dancing, acting, anything like in the entertainment industry to pave where for like to pay the bills as a, a musician. So even before I was like releasing my own stuff, I was a commercial dancer. I was a backing dancer for some big artists and, and just real. And even that, that's amazing. Cause you get to meet people. I think I met Ed Sheeran, like at the Capitol ball when I was like backing dancing for the wanted and Jesse, Jesse's there. And then, then you see these people again. And I saw him at the Luke Combs gig at C2C. I was like, I <laughs> just like, it's just so weird. But all these things, like I said, it, it just makes you the artist that you are. And, and I've really worked. I've always had to work really hard for what I want. But I think it's kind of instilled this like resilience in me that I'm like, okay, underestimate me. 
that'll be fun. Say no, that just egg me on more. But that's my personality. I just don't give up. So I know that I'm going to win. There's going to be a win at some point that'll change my life. Um, because as you say, I have been at it since like 1922. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> throw, throw me a bone here. <laughs> no, but there's a lot, I think there's lots of little, lots of little wins. I mean, getting, you know, getting an independent EP out is a win, getting signed by oh, a label yeah. and also getting signed by a label that is very much about a collaboration. It's not, here's my music, off you go. You know, the whole thing is a collaboration with that label. And, and it's your vision pretty much that, yeah. you know, plus in this day, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned there about when you finally got to release the record, which, you know, you, which is a, actually a com- culmination of a good seven years, probably work with some mm-hmm. of the songs and they're going back seven years. Um, you then have an opportunity where you're releasing it and then we're sort of hit with the fact that you can't actually do anything. Oh, Steve, when I tell you, I was in absolute bits, like, and it was such a good lesson, really humbling. Not that I ever needed to be humble because I had now to be big headed about, but like, I just worked so hard and everything was leading up to this amazing moment of release and I was going to have a celebration and then the pandemic hit and I was like, I was crying at midnight in in this my in my mum's house in my like tiny little box bedroom that I growing up and I was just like sucks being an artist, doesn't it? This is this is shit. This is crap. And I just but everyone was so amazing about it, but it like nothing was ever what I thought it was gonna be like. And I wanted something because I thought it was going to give me something. I thought it was going to give me a feeling. And that was a very good lesson for me in life, just in general, that you think your life is taking you to one road down this and it's, it's, you have all these expectations and none of them were met. Like I didn't see my face on a, you know, a poster. I didn't go get to buy my album in a supermarket. Like none of these things, like these things that you dream of, these tiny little things. And not only for me, but for my family. And I'd worked so hard. I was like, of course I had to release my debut album in a pandemic. Of course I did. Um, But yeah, like it did really teach me to enjoy the journey because I had not enjoyed that journey at all. I was stressed. I did because everything was new. It wasn't. And it was, and I would dare say like some things are just not explained properly and you a bit like a rabbit in the headlights. And that's kind of like why I do like I set up that organization for I know a woman is because I wanted to educate people that firstly, this business is tough for everyone, whether you're on the business side or artist, like right or whatever, and it's forever evolving and changing but it's music business. And if you understand your business, you, it just puts you in better stead. Cause I didn't even know what a radio plugger was or a TV plugger. I thought these things just happened. Um, and yeah, it was just like a, a big, massive learning curve. And I was, yeah, just, it just, it was just a very good lesson. So when I did the EP just gone with my American label and BMG, like, it was so much easier and I, and I didn't have a manager this time around. Um, so I was talking to two labels and I was the point and it made me such, I would say like a better businesswoman because I, un- I understood everything, even like ra- writing emails and like responding to people and making sure it made me not take anything for granted and like going through all the little details and yeah, it was just, it was a better experience this time round, but definitely a massive learning curve. And I suppose the, the one thing that you were forced to do, which is unfortunately something which is, as as, as ha- obviously had to carry on, and I've spoken to a lot of artists on here, is the... Uh, is the kind of interaction side and the content side because you had no other way of promoting anything but content. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I suppose that, you know, that it means that you kind of get good at it and you know what, you know, we know what works and everything. Um, but I bet that first time, I mean, do you remember the first time that you did come back and play something live? I mean, that must have felt amazing the first time you were back. Yeah, I'm trying to think where I was. Um I think I actually, I escaped a bit of the pandemic. So I went to Nashville and recorded my EP, started rolling. Um, 
then stayed there for a good bit of time. So Nashville didn't really shut down that much. So I feel like I got to play a couple of shows there, whether it be writing rounds and being with people. So I um, I escaped quite a lot of the heaviness. And yeah, it was just a really good time to kind of write a lot. I wrote a couple of screenplays as well in that time, which are hopefully like some is going to happen which I'm very excited about that and um just made me and made everyone go what am I doing with my life what am I doing what am I stressing about is this important what do I want to do um and I was just like I found that I was so happy as long as I was creating I was creating worlds and um yeah, like I said, I wrote a couple of screenplays and these characters became like my home. And I just I, I just tried to follow my joy. And it reminded me of like what it was like to be a kid and just not think about the the music side, like the music business side of things. It was just so nice to kind of reconnect. And everybody felt the same. And they didn't feel and we didn't feel guilty because everyone was just like chilling. And it was like, it was kind of nice for everyone to just breathe for a second we'll never have that again in our lifetime I don't think but it was definitely a a good reset and that's when I founded I Know Woman because I there was a lot of people that were struggling with their mental health in that time so there's a lot of great things that did come from the pandemic there was I've I've heard you talk before about you know that certainly the I Know Woman thing but also um I've heard you talk about the sometimes the impact of negative emotions. And I've spoken mm-hmm. to a few other people, um, one of my really good friends who who genuinely to this day believes that they were became ill because of sort of various negative things that, that they were thinking. And there's a real thing in this, isn't there? Oh, my God. Einstein said sound is the biggest healer. Like it's the, it. I think life, and it just fascinates me. We're going to get really deep here for a, a second. We're Steve. welcoming it. I am one of these people that I can, I don't know, I feel like I'm pretty good at reading people and like emotional intelligence comes from drama. So I'm I'm very used to just kind of reading people. And I think there's a great book called um, How to Heal Your Own Life and it's by Louise here. And it talks about how every disease is caused from negative, a negative emotion. And I fully believe this because if you think like, everything is energy like have you ever wondered like why you meet somebody and you just click straight away and you're like whether it's on the same wavelength or whatever it's like you're emitting this frequency that is attracting this person to your energy or whatever and um I've talked a lot about this because I I never really experienced any depression or anything like that until I had my accident and this is when I got really into it and knowing how the body I've always been very good at knowing how my body works because I've been trained as a dancer so I needed to but like how your brain can affect and like you know even when you break a bone you can have like depression and it could be like three months after and I think we live in a world now where people are connected but they're less connected and everything like our phones and technology really does take us away from like nature and what connects everyone together and I think you know like the pandemic was a big thing it would like really reconnected people in a lot of ways and um yeah I'm all about realigning your chakras and saging and just cleansing your your energy because I do I do believe it like music when you think about it is a universal language that we all understand it reaches so many people it heals people and I think that's what's incredible about being like when you create art you were talking about it's already a success if it comes out I fully believe this but the industry makes profits off yourself doubt because it makes you feel like if you don't have the playlist, if you don't have the, you know, the millions of streams or whatever, you're seen as a failure or it flops. But some of my favorite songs are not the hits. And you go through all these people, like, I don't know, just everyone's got a similar story and a breakthrough moment. But before that, they had like, you know you don't know whether you're playing in a a living room in Stoke or Indiana and I think that's the beauty of music because it's such a personal connection and it has the ability to heal even when you think it 
it doesn't. So I, I've studied quite a lot about like how emotions can affect you and like, um, you know, generational trauma, subconscious, like all of that, because I feel like it does come out in your body if you don't, don't address it. Um, so yeah. And that's probably why I songwrite is because if I don't, I generally get a chest infection or a throat infection because I'm not expressing myself. Yeah, no, I get that. I completely get that. And as I say, I, 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 you're not the only person. There's a few people that I know that feel the same thing. And I think songwriting as therapy um, is like my friend Beth Stannard has his, his mantra is write myself happy. Yeah. Is, you know, but at the same point, you're really good. cheaper as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the same point, you're, you're really good at, at exercising kind of demons and ghosts through it as, as well. I think, you know, you, you, there is always an honesty about what you, what you write. And uh, I've already told you, I think Dying Inside is one of the best songs that you've ever written and one oh, of my favourite songs. And that's the song I actually didn't want to cut, you know. Well, I remember, I think I even messaged you about it. And I think you were, you weren't scared. I can't imagine you being scared of anything, but yeah, if you felt unsure about it. Mm. I, had to, I had a proper like argument with my A&R. I was like, I don't want to put this out. I wanted to put something else out. And she was like, I'm telling you, this is going to connect with people because it's so raw for you. I was like, yes, exactly. I don't want to depress people. I'm Because de- I'm not this, like, I feel like I'm a writer that like, I, I want to write about serious stuff, but I want to make people dance. I'm always trying to make people dance because I love to dance. But like, I, I like to do it with a beat that is not depressing. I don't want people to listen to my music and be like, uh, I'm like, I can't listen to music like that because it, it unless I really, really want to cry. But um, yeah, we had a, a bit of an argument about it. And she was, she was right. She was right. Because it was the one that I got the most feedback on in the sense of like people were telling me their stories and they were like, this is exactly how I feel. And I think it really relates to social media, how we all put on this show. And I just think a lot of the time I get exhausted because I'm, it's it's very easy for me. People don't realize, but I'm a extroverted introvert, and it takes a lot of energy for me to be. I don't really like the parties. I'm not very good at that. Like you'll either find me talking to somebody that I know or buy the food, so I don't have to talk to anybody. Because I'm not that confident in that way. It's like, but I'm I'm you. People perceive me as that because I've been so used to being the actress so it takes a lot of energy for me to be like that so at dying inside for me is kind of like obviously it's about relationship but it is it depicts me as a person of like I show my I show this one side that everything's all right and then behind closed doors which relates to a lot of people where we're all basically the same so. <laughs> yeah, and also you, you know, it's not like you've got ten of those. You know, you offset it with absolute bangers. Do you know what I mean? You offset oh, it thanks. with well, welcome to the club. Do you know what I mean? Which is that, or or something, or somebody, which is just a real, you know, uplifting banger. I think welcome to the club. I mean, that's such a cool title. I mean, was that one of those ones where you kind of woke up, found that title, and just rushed in and said, "We've got to write this song." How does that song come about for you? So I wrote it with Phil Barton and Lindsay Rhymes, who was two Australians, funny enough, and we wrote it in Nashville. And it was a take on the fact that Nashville has never really made it. It's all country music. You, I feel like you have to be a certain thing, like mm. to work, and it's really difficult for women, I think, to to get in. Um, but the community really and my label really celebrated my individuality and what I wanted to say. Mm. And I never felt like the outsider where I have done in, in like society, whether that being like, because I was a traveler or because I was the kid that did musical theater or whatever, but they never made me feel like that. So normally welcome to the club. That saying is kind of negative or like I've had a bad day or welcome to the club. And I was like, this is kind of a call to action for everyone to be authentically themselves and to find a place where you you celebrated for your differences because we wrote it in the pandemic and I was seeing a lot of division and I was like this is really am I allowed to swear on it I was gonna Mm. say I was gonna say this is bullshit like 
everyone is basically the same. We all have their basic human needs. Hmm. And it was, I don't know. I was just like, everyone's fighting. Why are we fighting? Like we're all the same and we should be able to celebrate our differences, whether you're, you know, gay, straight, black, white, whatever. And um, it was just one thing after another, if you remember the pandemic and just a lot of movements in that time. And yeah, I just, it, it was very much um, inspired by the Nashville community and my friends, I would say that song. It's got like a, it's a jam, but it's got a, this deeper message that we are all human and, and we're basically all just, we all need love. We all need a place to belong. Um, so yeah, that was like kind of my homecoming song. Yeah. And it absolutely worked. And of course, you know, you tie all the videos together because, you know, I remember seeing the videos and there's that lovely little first five, 10 seconds of the therapy session. And then you, of course, tie it all together in a, like a film, which was obviously the intention from the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, my brain works like that a lot of the time. So I have to like, cause I think like fit, you know, when you watch a video, it can completely change the listener's way of like, feeling the song like Mm -hmm. it just has a whole different meaning um and i love to have fun in my videos but obviously everything that i kind of i'm a massive advocate for mental health and i wanted to kind of highlight that in some sort of way and you know like normalize having therapy and especially in this day and age where everyone's so noisy like the world is so noisy that Mm. sometimes it's different it's it's just difficult to hear yourself. So you need that one person or that one place to go and just be still and be yourself. And that's kind of like what I was trying to get across with the film. No, absolutely. And and when it comes to I Know A Woman, I mean, you're there or the organisation is there to, to protect people and inform people, I guess. Yeah, well, it started out like I, because I was hearing a lot about like country mute, country radio not playing like just the stats, like there wasn't very many women on the chart. And when it was, it was all the same people. And I was just like, this is really hard. (laughs) This is really hard. I mean, it's hard anyway, music, but I, yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't think it's as much like this anymore, but there definitely back in the day was this thing like, oh, if you're not a 20, I actually got told once, well, you're not a 25 year old pop star and you'll never get played on Radio 1. I was like, brilliant. Thanks for that motivation, mate. <laughs> so, But like, these are the type of things as a woman that you hear because people want you to be like favor the younger generation. I'm like, mm. I'm sorry, like some of the, the greatest people that I know as artists, women, especially about their break in their thirties or, you know, late thirties, early forties. And it's like the society and the music industry kind of looks down at a woman. Like when she, especially after she has kids, it's like, Oh no, you can't write anymore. You can't sing anymore. I'm like, "Mm, don't think that's true. And I just wanted to integrate specifically younger artists teach them about the music industry and like you know like what Lucy and John did for me like giving me these tips tell me what a radio plugger is all, all these kind of like little things tell them but make it um digestible in a way that you know and it's a non-profit so it takes up all my time I mean I manage an artist as well who's a part of it so, um she's 17 she's called Sabina she's literally a superstar and she she sang the let it go with I know woman And I just wanted to integrate like up and coming with artists that are at many different levels and know the industry because, you know, on the business side, people have motives, whether we like it or not, they have a different objective. And like I, artist to artist, I've learned so much, writer to writer, I've learned so much and it's a safe place. And I think now it's encouraged to be much more open about the deals that we're getting and making it fairer. And there's so much, everybody takes from the artist that the last to get paid. And I wanted to create a space for, for, and it's a home for all music makers. It's called I Know Woman because we highlight female talent, but it's very much like we have males included because we need their voices in order to shift these stats quicker. Um, and um, it's been amazing. Like we we do writing camps and the the songs that we do off there are like cut off there. 
And when we release them, we give the writers points on the master. So we're trying to be the change we want to see. We, you know, we've played Bonnaroo Festival, recently Lollapalooza. We put on these writing camps, like I say, and writers rounds. And, and just I wanted to create more opportunity community and support and we've been in like Forbes magazine shot a BBC documentary and just the more I kind of want it especially on the record side of things I want it to be the live aid of records that that everybody is welcome and it's genreless and it doesn't matter and every four to six weeks I I definitely we're we're in the minute there was 19 artists 19 women on that charity single and when I tell you it nearly killed me Steve I was like it did nearly kill me. Do you know, multi-artist singles are not for the faint-hearted. No. I, I speak as a veteran. <laughs> 19, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm actually insane. As well as managing myself, doing my own project, managing somebody else, managing a non-profit and the record. I was like, I can't, I can't. I need. So we've taken a break and we're just about to gear up. And it's just, I want, I want to see people win. There's enough room for everybody. And everyone's at different stages and I think sometimes it's it's just hard as a up and coming because you're seeing people with like this industry celebrates numbers literally if you don't have the right numbers you get dropped or whatever and I just wanted to create a space where they they understood the business more and they had friends in it and real friends like and that was also very inspired by the Nashville community. So it's everything that I do always has to have like a meaning behind it. Like, I'm, like I say, I just always think we're not here for very long and I want things that I do to really matter. So I want to cut songs that really matter and move me. Um, and yeah, I just, I definitely think the mental health side of things for artists, my main objective was to standardize therapy for artists and songwriters, producers that had publishing and record deals because you should get some perks. And nowadays, like I have to be my marketing person. I have to be my social media person. There's all these things, different jobs that you never had to do before. It was just like, there was one route. And that was it. And now there's just, it's amazing because there's so many avenues, but that, like I said, there's a lot of noise and with comparison culture, like I'm seeing a lot of artists really, really struggle. And that, that really came out in the pandemic. And I was, I was just kind of sick because I've grown up in the entertainment industry, the media and everyone else thinks like, Oh, Justin Bieber. Oh, he's someone's son at the end of the day. It, the, people are so desensitized to Amy Winehouse dying or like, you know, like these people have teams around them. Like how about we catch it early and we give them the support and they can talk to somebody. And um, so that's really kind of like what feeds my soul. And I just think like everybody is like this stone and you get thrown into the river every day and you create a ripple effect. And um, I kind of just want, if, if, it, if I can change or help somebody else in the way that I wish somebody could have helped me earlier on, then I think that's just like, I don't know, it just, it feels myself, I, that's kind of what I live for. But that, that is inc- That's incredible. So when it comes back to you and live and being back out there, as much as you love everything else, is that still kind of your main happy place? I think for me, anything live is because it's so familiar. I've, I I know how to work an audience. I, an audience doesn't scare me. It's the safest place in the world for me to be on stage. And that might sound so weird for some people, but like, that's my home. That's, that's where I belong. So my fight half the time is getting me on back. I'm like, I need to go home. I need to be on a stage. What show can I be doing now? Like, I don't care whether it's to 30 people. I'm playing a really intimate gig in my hometown coming up. And it's like for 40 people, I just wanted to do it just because like, I just, I love to play and I love to tell stories and um, people, people seem to like it. So I'm like, can we just can we just do more? And obviously, with the pandemic, there wasn't much. So, in in terms of me being an artist, I'm still kind of like in my infancy, even though it doesn't seem like it. I've only had like 
two projects out um, since I've been signed. So, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, live is like where what I live for, basically. Just before we go, the show's called Such a Good Feeling, and this is quite a hard question, but if you had to pick one super magical goosebump moment that were you just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is my life. So um, I once played um, the Cornbury Festival, and I was in this tiny little tent. Um, talk about, you never know who's listening. Um, it was the Cafe Nero stage, and it was like one of my first festivals. So I'm talking like, didn't even know what in-ears were, like, you know, so you could hear yourself, like nothing like that. One of my very first gigs. I go, I finished my set, go backstage, and this guy comes backstage, and he was like, oh, yeah. You were, you were awesome. And I was thinking, oh, thank you. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's Brian Adams. Why is Brian Adams talking to me? Why is he in, Why is he here? What is going on? And he was like, do you want to come and sing with me this evening? And he was like, do you know it's only love? And I, I was like, uh, yeah. I didn't know, by the way. Well, I just got, I was like, of course, I'm going to say yes. I'm going, I'm going to go sing. So I sat in my car for an hour and a half, like he was obviously the headliner in front of like how thousands of people and don't know how many thousands it was, but like felt it was just massive. And um, they hooked me up with the in-ears, learned the song. And it's quite funny because um, Phil Thornalley was playing bass for Brian. And I'd already known Phil, obviously Phil wrote Tone uh, with Natalie and um it was just like this weird combination of like things that were happening. I was like, is this real? Is this real life? And then Brian introduces me and I sat, I sing It's Only Love, like the Tina Turner, which is really high, by the way, and probably messed it up. There's some video footage, I'm sure, like be screaming like a cat. But it just, it made me go, wow, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Somebody that I've listened to forever is I'm on this stage in front of 20,000 people. I'm singing with Brian. What? And we've actually become like really amazing friends. He actually wrote the music for the musical um, Pretty Woman. They flew me actually over to New York um, to audition for it. It's just like life is full of just weird and wonderful things if you're just open to saying Yes. And um, that was the moment that was like, gave me a taste. It was like, yeah, this is amazing. I need a bigger stage. I need to be in a stage. <laughs> you know, I need the full production, the dancing. I just, I was like, I want to be doing this. I want to be doing this every day, every, every weekend, like whatever. And I just, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to see my name in lights. I want people to remember my songs. And I want to do it in a way that I can remain true to who I am and put out the music that I want to make. And um, I've been very lucky. Like my first job was with Brian May and Brian Adams, like, you know, all these people that have just kind of given me little nuggets of wisdom and um, I've really carried them throughout my career. So I'm yet to do a stadium gig, but I feel like it's on its way. I think it's absolutely on its way. I think just manifest away because it's, you know, there's always, as you say, there's always those incredible, I mean, those incredible little, you know, support slots and stuff where that you get that 25 minutes and then you just take it. Take you it, know, yeah. Maisie's just done it fantastically with Ed Sheeran. It's just like, go out, grab it, have yeah, fun. And, exactly. you know, but I don't know, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about the stadium spectacular with 20 dancers and lasers and... Oh yeah, like basically uh, what what Taylor does. So yeah, we've got a long way to go. But. Although isn't it interesting? Actually, with just quickly before we finish, it's interesting with Taylor that that's what she did, and then mm-hmm. because of the fact that she couldn't do that, she ended up making arguably a couple of well, some of the best records she's ever made in her life because she didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, she's amazing and such an incredible businesswoman, and just like really is I think just one of the best songwriters this generation has ever seen. Um, and just the way that she writes, I think that's what makes her different, the way that she writes and is able to tell a story. Um, and f- she's always got something to say as an artist and uh, it's very, very inspiring. So, um, yeah, if I could just have like a, you know, 
just a, a fifth of our success or, you know, whatever, that would be great. I genuinely think it'll, it will all happen. Um, I'm guessing you're, you're working on a million things. I'm presuming album two is the, the next ballpark, then the next thing to look for, right? Yes, definitely. I've, I'm, lo- I'm actually looking at the, uh, the kind of <laughs> deck presentation that I did because I like to map out all the songs and like how as well, because my brain is filmic. I'm like, okay, so what could this film be? Um, so yeah, I might try and um, bring a few directors in that I've worked with before and they don't know yet, but um, yeah, there's a couple of people from Ted Lasso that I've worked with. So maybe if they're not too busy being superstars, they can come and help me, but We'll see. I can see it all working out. I absolutely can. Um, amazing to chat to you. You're one of those people. I know a couple of these people. You're one of those people that I believe that you have a secret twin, and, <laughs> which is weird considering your name. But, you know, like literally it's too much for one person to do. So you sort of, but it's obviously un, you're completely unfazable, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, I don't know where that comes from. I think it's just a... I don't know. I have this drive that has always been in that. I feel I feel like I'm kind of lucky because I always knew what I wanted to do. Mm. And if if I set myself a goal or a challenge, I will work and work and work until I get there. I achieve it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the next thing is gonna be. I mean, obviously album two, but I'm really just for now enjoying I love helping people and like the acting side of things, script writing has really given me a new, just newfound joy that I really, I, I really love it. So probably a lot more of that. Um, amazing. Yeah. Well, all the best of it. Thanks for chatting today. And thank um, you so much. You're amazing, by the way. Thank uh, you for this. Like no it's been so incredible talking to you. Appreciate you having me in. Glad you enjoyed it. Okay. I'll speak to you soon. See you later.